Hello, and welcome to another episode of Expanding Horizons. I'm your host, LB, along with my co-host, CT. Hey there. If you're unfamiliar with this podcast, the main idea behind it is that both myself and CT have watched a lot of anime over the years, but we can't possibly have watched everything, which is where this podcast comes in. Every month or so, we each recommend a title from anime history that the other person has yet to see for whatever reason and go off to watch them. After a month, we return and discuss what we've seen. Uh, this month, we'll be chatting up the 1996 Mecha Shoujo Vision of Escaflone and the 2003 Nuns with Guns action series Chrono Crusade. Uh, as you can imagine, we'll be discussing these series in detail, so there will be spoilers thrown in along the way, so you have been warned. Uh, go ahead, and we're going to jump right into things with Chrono Crusade. So... This was your title this month, so for those who haven't seen it, tell us what this one is about. So Chrono Crusade uh, is based, interestingly, in the United States during the uh, the Roaring Twenties, as it were. It's uh, the late Twenties. I forget which year. I think 28 into 29. It, it takes place over a period of time. Uh, so largely what you think about of, uh, uh, like New York city and then, uh, San Francisco eventually during that time. But this particular world seems to, uh, have a whole lot of, uh, you know, supernatural threat possibilities in it. And, uh, they are met when they come about by, uh, the order of Magdalene. And a nun run, nun gun run <laughs> organization that are involved in banishing demons and devils as they show. So obviously, there will be a lot of uh, nods to Christianity and, uh, uh, you know, lots of stuff pulled wholesale from, uh, from the Bible, from uh, other things. Uh, and largely it seemed like it was going to be kind of a serial, uh, one just taken on small cases, but, uh, you, you get to interact with a lot of big, bad devils fairly quickly. And it, uh, it fairly quickly goes into uh, uh, the deeper nature of the conflict rather than uh, being uh, uh, quite as slapstick and, and humorous as it looked like it was going to be from the beginning. Uh, that's the basic premise, though. And uh, and everything else is, uh, you know, the characters and the plot, I guess. <laughs> so, alright, uh, overall... Unlike all those other shows. Yeah, so overall opinions, <clears throat> what'd you think of this one? I personally remember really enjoying this one. I did try to go back and rewatch as much of it as I could, but I've had a really busy month, so I wasn't able to complete it. But from what I rewatched, I was still really digging on it. I uh, really liked it. I'm curious what you thought. I thought in the beginning, that's that's where it was becoming part of my description, I thought in the beginning it was going to be a lot more uh, slapstick, 
uh, uh, you know, going back and forth between Rosette and Chrono and her just kind of being her, her presentation is that of a, uh, uh, agent of chaos within the, uh, order of Magdalene, uh, impulsive, a bit destructive, going a bit overboard, overly enthusiastic and, uh, her long-suffering pal, Chrono, who uh, carries a phone around a lot, which is amusing. Uh, <laughs> that was almost the most unbelievable thing about it. They had a car phone and everything. Even everywhere he was, he just had a phone with him. But uh, <laughs> so it, it seemed a whole lot more like it was going to stay in there and then, you know, maybe have a, a nice big jaunt at the end with some uh, forced drama in there. And actually, by the end, uh, by the middle, but leading on, because it is too core and they had plenty of time to work with it, uh, uh, by the time we end with it, I, I found it to be to have spun in different directions and actually be quite interesting, take some interesting ideas and let them play out a bit. Uh, the ending itself overall is very memorable and, and kind of sits with you. Uh, it, uh, it does not just sort of sit at an action comedy all that long, in fact. So uh, it, it goes places and I was pleasantly surprised by it overall. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you enjoyed it for at least the most part. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the ending before we dig into some of the finer details. Because uh, the ending is one that is is memorable for me because I particularly enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, when I saw when I showed this series to her for the first time, actually rolled her eyes at the ending and said that it was really predictable. What did you think about that? Did you see the ending coming or? Well, it depends what you mean by the ending. Obviously, if you're having a whole lot of demon wars in it, you can uh, get a lot of death and destruction. The show typically didn't present itself in a way uh, that it would, however. You, you can have long-running series like Boongo Stray Dogs, which has destruction left and right no one ever dies or barely anyone dies uh in that show and it doesn't matter in this case it wasn't really edgy about it we, we're not getting like you you approach in some ways a bit of a kamega kill kind of lethality in directions that you wouldn't have expected but not presented in you know, an, an edgy sort of way. The the bad guys tend to go down or go down with each other, but when uh, Satella took herself and her sister out and stayed dead as opposed to, oh, she's just in the hospital now, and then uh, you, you get a little bit of predictability from uh, what ultimately happens to Chrono and Rosette in that you assume there will be a sacrifice of some sort with them, but 
it's not really done in the same way. We, we know that Rosette was presented as shortening her lifespan uh, to be able to uh, form a pact with Chrono so that they could do what needs to be done. And we also know that he stated that uh, he had no desire to outlive her. So we knew something was coming. They presented something like uh, wouldn't live past 30. But in this kind of show, you usually assume that some manner of resolution will come to the point wherein they can escape this particular fate, especially if they manage to kill the big bad, save the day, save the world, that sort of thing. And in this case, no. they they But they don't do like a heroic sacrifice right away. They just disappear and get to kind of be with each other for a while. And then they do, in fact, disappear at the end. So, well, not not really. They don't descend. They don't uh, pull a Jesus or anything. But uh, <laughs> they, they, after their duty is over, they get to actually spend the time that they wanted to with each other. Playing house, as it were just off screen and you only get to uh, get that one last scene with them at the end. So I can see how one might eye roll at it, but overall everyone has suffered a whole lot of damage. Joshua doesn't get to, you know, come back from it. Uh, he's not dead. Uh, uh, he's not dead, but he's very wounded. Uh, Father Remington has largely, he, not necessarily lost his faith, but, uh, you know, disappeared from the order and is going around witnessing at this point. Uh, and it's very open-ended as well, because you're, you see Ion coming around and you get to basically see that as much as they stopped a particular big bad thing from happening here, you know, World War II was coming other things are happening that you feel like this was a small chapter in an otherwise much larger story that they could keep telling with others in the order. I assume they've never revisited this, uh, nor, nor the manga author. But then again, I also know that the anime deviated from the manga quite a lot. So, uh, by reputation, I didn't look up the details. So I kind of think that, whatever they were doing with the anime, they wanted to spin it differently. Yeah, I remember at one of the very first conventions I went to, they actually had the manga author as a guest. It was Sakura Khan about a decade ago, maybe a little bit more than that. And he actually talked about the ending of the manga and how he preferred the ending of the anime because he had no idea how to end the manga so he just <laughs> created this bizarre pull something out of my ass type of ending that was not very popular so he actually said that he preferred what the anime did Interesting. Well, they would have had it, you know, plotted out by and large. It, was this something where he had planned to run longer and then was given the old, well, we're canceling you in four chapters, so that's how long you have to wrap it up? I honestly don't remember if he said that or not. Hmm. 
that does happen. Sometimes authors will get bored, but you can obviously just put a work on hiatus until you figure out a, a good idea. It was only running for six years and eight volumes, so it wasn't really... It doesn't feel like the kind of thing that he wouldn't have a particular direction or wouldn't have time to come up with something at least satisfying enough unless he was being, you know, just canceled outright. But I think it was a smaller imprint. It does it that too doesn't seem terribly likely. I I assume they'd largely let their their authors roll until they uh until they felt like ending their work. Especially if it was popular enough in anime form, but I don't know how overall popular it was. I honestly do not remember how popular this series was when it was first released. Uh, especially, it was a 2003 series, so this was long before there was social media to gauge that kind of thing. I do know that when it got released in the U.S., it got like eight different re-releases over the period of a decade. There were like holiday editions and <laughs> thin weird. packs and complete collections. And yeah, it got re-released a lot of times. That seems like a weird one to do that with, but uh, I think it was only Funimation that ever no, had, ADB it, huh? had it. Oh wait, no, AD Vision Rescue. Yeah, it was ADV. Yep. So what did you think <laughs> so, of uh, the villain Ion? He was definitely... A memorable villain in my opinion but i'm curious to know what you thought i think he certainly had more overall depth than you typically get from your cackling evil person he is still of course evil person willing to do whatever towards his evil goals uh but the more you learn about it the more it seems to be you know that De demons and devils are not quite what you think they would be. Same thing with pandemonium, same thing with a bunch of other stuff. And it, and it becomes a little bit from, you know, Christianity itself, wherein you have uh, angels rebelling, and that's what turns into the enemy. In this case, it seemed to be, right, they, they're rebelling against the fate that had been determined for them, uh, uh, you know, and they, and they kind of have, they have to tear off their horns to, uh, uh, manage to escape part of the fate. And then they're trying to change the world around it. I don't think his goal was ever terribly concrete because they mentioned things like, uh, turn earth into heaven and heaven into earth. And I'm like, all right, it, it's fun to say that, but I don't know what you mean <laughs> by it precisely. Uh, and at least you could see in towards the end what he was trying to accomplish through Rosette, our Mary Magdalene. But uh, he does he doesn't come across as uh totally complex and the kind that you sort of feel for. You get a bit of that through it, but. Most of that, of course, has to come through Chrono, who you get to see over large periods of time was seduced by the words of being able to escape the, the fate that they had been cast in, but was unwilling to, you know, go to the links that uh, 
Ion was uh, setting forth to make that kind of reality happen. So, And then you had a whole bunch of other just cackling bad guys. And somehow later on, this was weird, but when they introduced the busty cat girl devil in there, I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That, That was a weird turn, especially because they had been doing things a bit more seriously, and then they threw her in as kind of a comic relief again. And I'm like, okay. Cause she, she showed up so late that throwing her in as a busty cat girl scientist, uh, uh, just joke bot. It was totally pretty weird when they put her in because she was so late in it. You didn't see her at all. Even, even a shadowy background person. You got, a, you got a lot of that where you had the, uh, the Duke Dufo and uh, the, the pursuers and the other sinners who just kind of show up at the uh, only after they get to San Francisco past the halfway point. So digging into the finer details, who was your favorite character and why is it Satella? Uh, well, that's a very good prediction because, of course, Satella is great. Uh <laughs> I mean, I always have the the weakest spot for the main characters who get the the most time, but Satella was certainly uh, entertaining, and you know she wasn't just a, uh, a tsundere archetype. She wasn't just one particular, uh, you know, like the rich Ojo. She had enough story to play out, and she, in the end, had a good ending from it because. Uh, she she ends up uh, taking her her sister out. Her her goals align them with the uh, Order of Magdalene, but uh, doesn't override or get subsumed by it. But brings her in with the group so that she can be become a main cast member. I was I was hoping that she wouldn't get cast off, but by contrast, I was very much hoping that they would cast off Asmaria in, in the beginning because. That's what I thought she would be. This is where I was thinking what they would do is was a much more just serialized uh, adventure of the day, demon of the day kind of thing. But when they had Asmaria join the group, she was just a, uh, oh my God, the, the, the whininess, high-pitched voice, scared of everything, nervous about everything. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to last through this because <laughs> they brought her in pretty quickly and, and kept her around. And uh, thankfully, she had her moments and in some ways gets to be... Uh, uh, gets to be where we where we see some sort of victory from it because you, you don't get it from Sister Kate in the Order particularly, but we've got to watch Asmaria grow through all of it and in the end be what they be the kind of uh, uh, sister that they need. We don't see her in action, of course, because that's just epilogue, but uh, but that, that, that seems to be where where we judge the progression of what happened during this story, even though that it's implied that they have, you know, all new uh, uh, 
bad things coming. They've made it through a couple wars, but uh, now they try to assassinate the Pope and they have, uh, uh, you know, a new set of uh, bad prophecies coming about. So uh, you, uh, you, you mainly, it would be interesting in a way to, to have seen them, to, to see them do another series past the 1980 point where you get a grown as Maria leading a particular order and you bring in new characters and, and do something like that. I'm not sure, you know, it was popular enough or, or worth it enough to get a sequel of that type. And certainly if it hasn't happened, it's unlikely to, but, but it's interesting to think about. And that's at least the sign of a story that was good enough to journey through and, and the part that, uh, that sticks with you. But yeah, going back to the original question, Satella. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Chrono Crusade had a solid enough ending that while a sequel series might have gained some ground, I don't think that it was really needed. I think that it told a nice full story within the 26 episodes. So, alright, uh, now that you've filled this in and you've gone back and watched it uh who would you recommend this series to or would you recommend this series to anybody uh i'd throw it around it would rank low generally because i'm not sure when you get sort of the mid old series so it's not old enough to be a classic it's not new enough to to be associated with the modern seasonal stuff. A lot of it feels, you know, design wise, uh, and otherwise a bit like a, a last splurge of nineties, especially like, you know, the large gauntlets and, uh, (laughs) and uh, some of the character design. Um, I mean, if people are describing things that get nearby enough and like, you know, certain levels of action, adventure, comedy, it might come up, but I think it would be, you know, buried under too many other uh, uh, works for, excuse me, for me to uh, recommend it terribly, terribly often. I think it would depend entirely how close to the neighborhood of it people are getting. Of course, I would recommend it to everyone so that they can listen to the podcast <laughs> and keep up. But uh, outside of that, uh, outside of that excuse, I'm I'm not terribly sure. It was it was interesting enough. I'm glad it got to do uh, a certain development and and get two core worth. But I'm not sure it hold would hold up for most people for the length of it. But uh, I guess that's about the. I guess that's about where it that stands. Uh, did you have any other notes or anything in particular that you really that you wanted to hit on about it? Well, I usually chat about um, the you know the voice actors a bit, and sometimes the the opening and ending were were nice. They uh, I did not you know watch them. With every episode, I gave them the uh, the 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 three episode test, and then largely because I was, you know, trying to move through with a good pace, I would have to skip them. 
but uh, n- nothing of of large distinction there. The the one weird distinction for me, I'll get to in a moment. But from the voice cast, I found it interesting. There there were certain times when uh, Rosette would be doing things that her mannerisms were very steered very close to uh what is it uh wow uh megumi hayashibara when she's being her in her zany mode so the nature of uh rosette's va which was uh tomoko kawakami is uh uh got close it, it would it's one of those things where i think she came very close or closest to making me think that it was a Megumi Hayashibara part without it being so. And I think in part that was boosted by the uh, uh, original episodes involving a lot of, you know, crazy antics and nervous laughter and uh, and, and overboard situations. Uh, Chrono, however, has a very interesting voice actor to me because he's a voice actor that I recognize almost immediately now but for that particular part and at that time until i read the the voice actor information i did not know it was him so i was surprised to find out that it is uh akira ishida he he has a very particular mannerism that i got into because he's uh kikuhiko from uh Shogun Roku Rakugo Shinju, which is one of my favorite series, and his part, uh, obviously the the main character, you watch him over the largest period of time. Uh, the way he speaks and the tone of his voice seeped in so much that I basically recognize him everywhere he shows up, bit part or everything else. But I did not recognize him as Chrono, even though that's you know second main character uh so i'm i'm curious if it you know how old he was back in 2003 that he would be notably different in 2015 and beyond uh or if it's something where you know he over time he would uh, steer his voice a particular way or something happened it was just a little weird after knowing it was him i could pick him out but uh after watching the whole show it didn't it still didn't register much of the time that it was him so i i found that weirdly fascinating uh cuz <laughs> cuz every other place i know him but but there for whatever reason yeah not. this is another so. one of those shows where i did watch it in japanese originally but ever since i've watched it dubbed because it's based out of japan and i like hearing the dub for uh for american type characters uh so that's just my personal preference (laughs) but yeah i can yeah i can see how that would be an issue because i had a similar issue with my series that i'll go into in a few minutes when we start discussing that you had an issue with escaflone i I don't know man that sounds that sounds worrisome (laughs) Yeah, so so nothing else. Weirdly, the 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 director of stuff, Chrono Crusade, doesn't stand out as a 
uh, it was done by Studio Gonzo, but it doesn't stand out as, you know, an, an upper tier Gonzo work. I'm not sure what does. But, and the director is not one that I'm familiar with. I do know that uh, he did some stuff you've you've probably watched, uh, like uh, Utano, Prince Sama, and uh, Familiar of Zero. I actually have watched but, both uh, of those all the way through, all of the scenes. That's pretty much what I figured you were. I think he's been with them the whole time, and I'm... I know I haven't watched them. I know of them enough to to be like, okay, I can. I guess I can see, you know, the connections. The, but uh, there, there was nothing in particular. There's nothing in this that uh, you know I connected through another way. The the strongest link I have is actually, you know, Crona's voice actor. So. That's amusing. So, all right, let's go ahead. Let's move along in that case. We're right at the 30-minute mark. So let's go ahead. Let's move on to my series, Vision of Escaflone. Little-known show of small consequence that is barely remembered to this day. I guess the first question then is, uh, I mean, we all have things on on our pile of shame, but considering your uh, uh, description in the beginning and how much shoujo you watch in general, even if this one was, you know, shoujo mech fighting <laughs> and stuff like that, how how did you not pick up Escaflone for, you know, the the length the of time you've been why watching? I haven't watched Escaflone up to this point is actually, and to be fair, my wife actually gave me the same reaction when I told her that I hadn't seen this one yet. <laughs> so yeah, um, the reason why I hadn't watched this one is it was in that weird gap period. It was originally released in Japan in 1996 and then it got released on dvd over Mm -hmm. here in the late 90s early 2000s era i did not start getting into watching anime on dvd until around 2003 2004 ish i believe uh somewhere in that range so by that point anime on dvd had exploded and there were series coming out all the time uh every month there were new dvd singles to keep up with so with so much to choose from i just never got around to watching escaflone even though i at that time i didn't really know what my tastes were yet so I wasn't really sure, you know, what I was going to like, what I wasn't going to like. And I didn't have a whole lot of friends who were into it. So no one ever really pushed Escaflone onto me until it was, you know, years upon years later uh, when I would quietly mention, oh, I haven't seen that one. And people would, you know, give me the okay. same reaction. Yeah, <laughs> the, exactly. the otaku stink guy the uh it it just seems like a a notable you know backfill emission for a prominent shoujo fan because uh 
there there are a few things like this. I actually am not sure if you've I watched uh, Fushigi Yugi either. I've watched but, a few uh, episodes of that, but I've never completed it. Okay, so there there was an era when Shoujo Isekai, you know, had huge prominence, and uh, like Fushigi Yugi and Ray Yasha. Earth and Escaflone. Uh, Yes, one could argue if that's true, Isekai, because it's not an alternate world. It's just time and technically the same world. We could probably have a 10-minute okay. discussion about that, but we're not going to. But yes, uh, that, of course, com- comes a little bit further down and is not shoujo. But it- it's funny, when I was you know, getting into things, Isekai to me was like sh- shoujo's fantasy adventure was all isekai basically and I, I think you know there are actual novel attachments to that sort of story as well uh of course there there'd be narnia and other things so it it seemed like a very interesting thing but you you got a big press of them back there and to me isekai of course didn't have a word but when you're when you're backfilling it from description and you get it it's like it was the shoujo fantasy adventure format uh for for a hot minute and then it was kind of ignored until the the fire of modern resurrection <laughs> came about and and honestly we can't get rid of as much as we want to uh <laughs> but back but back in that time it it had an interesting uh, no, but yeah, I watched a lot. I watched uh, like all of the isekai back then. I think I, I did not watch Inuyasha, but uh, I got my <laughs> personal Takahashi reasons for that. Anywho, we have deviated. You must explain. Uh, uh, Okay, this, so this title, I suppose. I'm going to do my best with this one, uh, but the main overarching idea is that the main character is a teenage girl named Hitomi who gets isekai'd into a new world with a prince named Vaughn who can control a giant mecha called Escaplone. Uh, that's the overarching idea, at least. There... I would love to give a nice detailed synopsis of what this series was about, but honestly, it's one of those shows where if I started to explain one plot point, I'd have to go into detail about every single following plot point because it's so intertwined with each other. So, yes. Yeah, so this one is really hard to encapsulate in just a few sentences i do find an interesting connection i think you uh, on a broader scope you can of course bring in uh uh, you know fate and trying to control fate control the future as it were uh you, you can get some soft links with chrono crusade in that fact that like overarching the whole point the the villainous plot lines pretty much have to do with uh controlling fate and reshaping the world and not necessarily because they want to make it a big evil place for big evil people just uh 
they 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 definitely have you know a particular vision uh <laughs> and are are simply very you know going about it in perhaps a more lethal way than they otherwise should but uh i guess to return your normal question then from you know the the synopsis overall you know how do you feel about the, so, the series okay. and the Confession, progression i only got through 20 episodes before we started recording so i did not finish the last six episodes um Ooh. now is that that okay i'm certainly glad no, you told me that before fine. i started this is another one of those shows where this i actually knew the ending at least i think i remember the ending because i did copywriting for this series when it was uploaded to viewster so <laughs> so i had already okay. been spoiled on the ending years ago uh now, did you run out of time, or did you actually run out of out enthusiasm for watching? The first, the first half was uh, was pretty good, and I was getting into it. Uh, but by episode fourteen or so, I was starting to lose interest. It just was becoming a little bit of a slog, and then from then on, it was just getting harder and harder to generate enough interest and enthusiasm to push through i pushed through as far as i could and i definitely made a serious honest effort with this one uh but yeah episode 20 was as far as i could get before we started recording episode 20 so how how long ago had it been since Uh, you watched any of the episodes i had tried to watch like one episode a day uh but it had been from I finished episode 20 today. The last time that I watched an episode before today, though, was a, probably a couple to few days ago. Okay. So you were still, yeah, definitely. still chewing the cud, as it were. But uh... So, I mean, it definitely... Let me, you know, before anybody sends me angry emails, I... I didn't hate the show and I didn't <laughs> dislike it. It was just the the main two things that kind of stuck with me and kind of made it difficult to get through it was first uh there was so much melodrama and not enough levity. Uh this series like rolled and loved its melodrama which i know shoujo that's kind of what it does i know i know (laughs) i was gonna say (laughs) i'm not sure if you've read any shoujo or watched Uh, any shoujo (laughs) i love shoujo rom-coms but shoujo melodrama doesn't it's hit or miss with me sometimes it's really good sometimes it's really sometimes it's not so great uh i think the second problem that i had with this one is that it has really slow pacing uh it felt like the story was just not moving at a very very quick pace uh so i think that was kind of a second issue that i had with it uh well that certainly I mean, I, w- I was generally 
fine with it, but you know, any, anything that's going to core, I'm, I'm usually expecting there will be draggy bits and delayed bits. I don't, I don't know any particularly well paced ones pacing. Usually uh, uh, you get evenly done if they have, you know, a single core to, uh, to go through any, anything past that. And they, they seem to uh, teeter totter around the the fine point so uh i can certainly see uh becoming frustrated yeah, so there were just with it at, occasions at where but, i uh, kind of wanted them to get on with the get on with things and kind of yeah and kind of break break things up or some levity or some extra battles i did really enjoy the fight scenes i thought the mech designs were really interesting uh also it needs to be said that this was probably one of the best soundtracks that yoko kano has ever done okay i was gonna have a long music break at some point you can tell me when when you want to do that but i will agree that it both on that point and that this is still probably my favorite soundtrack yeah, of I anime wouldn't go as far to say that but, it's my uh, favorite soundtrack ever, but it was really good. I really liked the soundtrack in this one, and the and the opening and ending are you could just say that top notch. <laughs> in 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 my humble opinion, that it, it, they're not necessarily going to be in my top of all time, but uh, they are. I enjoy they the are certainly of high quality. I believe I find the ending very very fitting, and in a way very very iconic. That this would have been one of those things. Uh, amusingly, there's a there's a parallel with that. I think to the ending of Fushigi Yugi, which. Uh, which gets it. Fushigi Yugi has one of those endings where part of the music starts coming in as they're wrapping up the episode. So like how uh, Jojo and Jojo memes happen, you start getting a bit of the ending there. You could get almost a minute or two of from uh, Fushigi Yugi. You don't get that in Escaflone, but like when you ended the episode, the the you know the the pulsing and the glowing glove uh, goes into it, and I find the song great as well. And and in this case, uh, uh, I, I just think the whole thing puts a, a good period on it. And usually, you have some manner of silly cliffhanger, whether it's melodramatic or uh, uh, mecha combat related or something else. So. Uh, Unfortunately, when I'm burning through an episode, I still also have to skip even the openings and endings I really like. But uh, but at the time, I I wasn't. Yeah, skipping I it. mean, like I like I said, I I really liked the yeah. opening. I thought it was really nicely done. I thought they matched the opening animation really well. Uh, ending was a yep. little more disco mm -hmm. than I probably would have chosen. But I mean, it wasn't horrible by any stretch. <laughs> the uh, uh, what is it? One of, one of the interesting things I found, just to give a, a little background on my exposure, and then I guess re-exposure, Escaflone was one of those things where, at the time, 
you might have considered it mixed media. In today's parlance, that means something different. It usually means, of course, you're you're aiming to have an anime and a, a MOBA or a free-to-play game and something else launching at roughly the same time. Uh, Escaflone had the anime coming out, and then it was going to run... Uh, simultaneously two manga series, one in a shonen magazine and one in a shoujo magazine, all of them telling different versions of the tale. And it was kind of known from the beginning, so it, it seemed very experimentational at that point. And I, I assume I would have been catching at least some of it during its run. Um, I'm not sure about that. It, of the timing, of course, depends entirely on how quickly fan subbers were able to make content, and then dubbers in Chinatown were able to dub it. So uh, I'm not going to have a particular timeline on it. There's there's a decent chance that uh, you know I, I wouldn't have been able to touch the anime until after it was done broadcast, certainly. But the uh, the manga was running well, uh, into 1997. So I was still seeing it in, in magazines and on, on shelves at a Japanese bookstore and things like that. So I was aware of it still, and it seemed like an interesting experiment. And, uh, apparently things about the anime were changing during production. So, uh, script changes and other stuff. So I think it may have deviated more from the, uh, from the longer running shonen manga than than it would have which always makes me kind of wonder because the longer running manga was in a shonen magazine escaflone is largely considered shoujo i think it treads the border between the two a bit you know more than other things do it still feels decidedly more shoujo to me in general but it it feels like it fluctuates between, I think, because you have a whole lot of, you know, large mecha action scenes and you get you get a whole bunch of things that uh, the boys can fist pump around. Also, because when you're when you're conceived of and written by, you know, that other unknown guy, Shoji Kawamori, uh, things tend to feel more, uh, you know, macrossy, perhaps. So I, I think his manner of uh, scripting and other stuff steers more shonen. So it it feels a lot more either on the border or fluctuating between the two. Like you get the, the heavy melodrama romance steeped scenes, but you also get the, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the larger action and, and kind of your, uh, you still have, always have uh, romance as central points in your Macross stuff, but uh, no, no one would accuse those <laughs> of being particularly shoujo. <laughs> so it's not, it's not, there's not a difference between shoujo and shonen only because uh, the lead happens to be male or female and the, you know, the romance triangle involve two guys or, or two girls. So, uh, that, that ain't the only difference. So, uh, uh, so it, it, 
even at the time, it was interesting. And, and I basically consumed it as fast as the tapes were made available, as I did with lots of things. Friends and I would go into Chinatown at least monthly, but periodically weekly, and we would just get any new tapes that were there, because that was the only way to get affordable anime at that time. I wasn't going to pay, you know, 10 more dollars for two episodes of subtitled Escaflone, uh, not Escaflone, uh, Evangelion. And uh, and other things at <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, I come in during that era. I was I was Oof. an era past now that. Poor. But yeah, definitely. I remember hearing the stories from other old Taku out there. <laughs> Back in my day. So uh, yeah, and then uh, and then I would proceed to not watch it at all until you know just recently for this so uh and i i found i enjoyed it i think more than i did back then and i was marathoning it so at, at no point it's possible that the pacing was helped in a way by me steaming through it than by you taking it every day or so or even more than that that'd be an interesting experiment to, to do with something that you're pretty sure has pacing issues and might toss you out and see what happens if you steam through it. Because if you're taking three episodes in an, in an hour, as opposed to spread across a week, does that help or hurt? Does the pace blur I because actually, you're just going through it that me, fast? When it comes to series I'm not that entirely have pacing sure. issues, in my opinion at least, I find that I prefer taking them in smaller chunks. That way I can digest what I've seen uh, without, and things don't get glossed over nearly as much. Uh, if I were to just burn through this series uh, and had just like power through it in a single weekend, a lot of the nuance would have just faded away and I wouldn't and I wouldn't have been able to digest nearly as much as I did. Interesting. I think for me it was assisted by doing it quickly. Which uh and of course I'm also assisted by having at least memories of it, but when your memories are as old as mine are Yeah, I mean it's not it's terribly also helpful. worth noting that <laughs> I do so, plan uh, on finishing this series. There's only six episodes left, so I and I would like to kind of witness the ending for myself. I just wasn't able to get through it all before we recorded. Uh so it's not like I'm gonna drop this series entirely. I would like to finish shit now that the pressure is off and I can, you know, take it at my own pace. Okay. We should probably have a small chat up just about the, the way that it ends then. Because there is an awful lot that kind of happens and there are things to be said about the ending and as much as you said you you think you know, I'd be, if especially if you're planning on watching it still, I'd be loath to, uh, to, to go in and, and give my, you know, full lowdown of the way that it ends at the end. It may not matter, you know, ultimately for you, but uh, it it feels like it, you know, might be a, a worthwhile short chat to uh, to tack on somehow. 
even yeah, if it's the next a, time that a sub we record that. or I will leave that up to you. Between now and then, uh, <laughs> I'll finish it off, and we can go back and have a little epilogue to this episode to discuss the ending in more detail. Uh, the part that I had gotten to when we when I left off to start recording this was Hitomi and Alan had just shared a kiss and Vaughn saw them. So that was the point. That was the part. Right. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that was the no melodrama there. The last thing that happened when I oh, so you, so you didn't watch twenty because I thought twenty had the uh, the 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 other cat girls, Eddie no, er, and Nadia, coming in as kiss. super luck soldiers. I might be wrong. I might be remembering it wrong. But uh, I can swear uh, that uh, is it. That's. That's nineteen, so twenty, twenty. Yes, you you ended uh, nineteen, but in the end, both are ensnared as they kiss. That actually, that's interesting because you ended right there. What was your opinion over the 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 manner of the fate alteration, the the conveyance of that through the situation where? Uh, where what is it, Falcon and uh, <laughs> Nadia? One of them doesn't matter which, I suppose. The golden-haired one, uh, <laughs> were were acting as proxies and thinking about one of them being Alan, one of them being Hitomi, and uh, you know making this weird bond to get them all the way over there to kiss and in the meanwhile they're reporting things during the day like you almost have a large moment between Hitomi and Vaughn but then he says a dumb thing at the end and the Emperor is being like oh I can see it more clearly now <laughs> because because the uh, the girl from the uh, from the other world and the dragon their hearts aren't aligning so therefore he can see better it it was in my mind, it was pretty creepy, <laughs> which I suppose it was supposed to be. I mean, I I wouldn't, you know, uh, uh, fault anyone for thinking it's pretty laughable as well. But it it was just so weird the uh, the presentation of that overall episode and what they were what they were doing and how came across just I didn't have that same reaction. Um, uh, at that point, like I said, my enthusiasm wasn't that high, so I wasn't particularly drawn in to that moment. I mostly, yeah, I mostly found at that point, okay. you know, I was just kind of glad that something new was happening. So, yeah, so I think. That was my, <laughs> that was my overall reaction at that point. That's true. That, That's true. Especially man. with the old person whose name I can't remember appearing at that point and giving that big long speech about fate. So yes, mm. yes, I believe so. What the yeah the the emperor or uh... <laughs> okay emperor. Doran Kirk. Got some got some great names. Out of all of the 
characters, you know, that you've run across so far then, uh, you know, who, who do you most enjoy or, or not? I suppose there's not really a best girl sort of thing to do in, in a work like, uh, like this, but, uh, were there any particular that you particularly enjoy spending more time with or dislike I spending don't more time with? her name. I had a really hard time remembering character names with this one. Uh, but the princess uh, who is trying to hook up with Alan most for most of the series. Milerla. But yeah, she, she was the most. She was the most interesting character She's, to me. I I really enjoyed it when she was on screen. That that's funny. I I think I was going to, at one point earlier, mention what one of the things that I quite like about the series is in general. I mean, there are a lot of very pretty people in the series. Of course, Alan is uh, rather uh, bishonen. Uh, <laughs> generally, and that Milerna, of course, is, uh, one would probably call her the most beautiful of the characters who you spend any time with. Uh, and I'm trying to think, one of the things that I, th- I think separates Hitomi for me generally is she, she comes across as uh, much less like a typical shoujo heroine obviously not from a melodrama standpoint she's got plenty of that uh <laughs> and general personality you know that there are there are certain match types but she doesn't seem to have some of the typical flaws that they will throw at your uh, shoujo heroines to make the target audience uh uh bond with her a bit more and i think also to introduce more comedic elements as you say there's not a whole lot of levity in here that that isn't coming through meryl but uh hitomi you know a very short haircut in in some ways the facial features nose especially that it's kind of unappealing for something that you think about as shoujo but uh not, not with Malerna, so she seems like one of those people that's like, oh, okay, she might be the, uh, you know, the, the heroine typically, <laughs> but in this case, in this case, she has her own side story of it, because she's still doing the kind of stuff that you would often get, you know, she's in a position where she's not able to exert her will or... Uh, her romantic interest. She has an interest in medicine. She has competence in it. I mean, she gets to perform surgery in episode that five. That stuck or so. out to me as uh, <laughs> a little random. She get it was it was very much <laughs> one of those mm-hmm. moments. Yeah, where you get these like, random. Okay, she has an interest in medicine, and that qualifies her to perform surgery. Sure. Well, she was learning. But yes, being able to do surgery, there's a difference between that and knowing how to, you know, grind up and make medicines. But it sounds like she was pursuing a thing that would qualify as pre-med for that world. But, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy world. They don't really have doctor professions. 
although they have a whole lot of weird like the the world building in general i find very intriguing it's not a steampunk thing but it's very much in some ways a high tech low fantasy uh uh mishmash together it's very weird and of course you know mecca all over the place but mecca with capes <laughs> if you want to make me interested in your mecca show give them capes that that'll work every time <laughs> so yes definitely random also when they had uh hitomi's beeper start working it wasn't like uh meryl pressed a button accidentally and caused it to beep which would have been fine that w- would have been an explainable thing the the fact that there is a cd in the bazaar the fact but the fact that her beeper actually pushed a call to her at some point they didn't make anything of that i'm like yeah no that that's pretty weird that's that's a live connection between you and the world you're trying to get back to shouldn't you have paid more attention to what this means but it was just she just started thinking like ah oh, mono senpai and uh and it was of course a distraction but uh <laughs> but otherwise ignored and that was weird so for me this is a series that I would not push onto people very much. Uh, it's definitely, if someone said that they wanted a shoujo, then, you know, but they didn't want, you know, a pure shoujo. They wanted something with some little more action, a little more fantastical elements. I would push them towards this one, but I wouldn't it wouldn't be my first choice can see that i usually obviously push this reasonably highly to people so uh and yet i i i think that it held up well over time whereas other shows that we you know checked out like like doing outlaw star again i don't think held up well over time so i i found it interesting to to come back to it but in uh, the in many ways, especially just because of your general shoujo connection, I'm I'm a bit surprised to to find you as down on it as you are. So, uh, so I was pretty pumped going through. I thought we were going to have a uh, we were going to have a you know a multiple thumbs up sort of. I was you know a lot more pleasantly surprised than I thought at the beginning from Chrono Crusade and then a uh, enthusiasm for Escaflone. So that's interesting. <laughs> now I'm wondering when, Fushigi when to hit you with Fushigi Yugi. one of those shows but, that uh, I will have to watch eventually, <laughs> but I don't know when. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of other stuff out there. So, uh, 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 was there I anything else we wanted to I leave with? Pretty well regarding... tapped out on this one. So, if you have any other questions or comments that you're you're welcome to pipe up with, otherwise, I think we can wrap this one up. I was going to say that uh, you know we could spend a few more minutes <laughs> just praising the goddess that is Yoko Kano, but uh. I guess the the one thing that I'll leave from the music there, I, I obviously have mentioned that I, I really love the soundtrack in general. I did not think that it 
could be possible to take the title of the show and have it be a prominent choral element in multiple pieces of uh, music <laughs> in it and not be like ridiculously laughable. She did. But she made it work. <laughs> it's somehow compelling to hear <laughs> choral singers singing Escaflone a lot. <laughs> and I, I find that great. So, all right, let's so. go ahead and let's wrap things up at that point. Thank you again to CT for being my co-host again this month. Uh, fair warning, I am going to be working quite a bit over the next couple of months from the holiday season. Uh, we are going to try our best to make sure that this stays monthly, but there might be a short break for the holidays depending on our dueling schedules so yeah so just please stay tuned to the patreon uh for more updates as they're available or to my twitter uh, talk or review uh and otherwise we will talk to you all very again very soon see you folks